Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. Welcome into a brand new episode of Writing While Handicapped. I'm Derek McFadden, the author of What Death Taught Terrence, The Santa Claus Agreement, and the new book, All Systems Snow, which unfortunately for us, acronyms to the word ass, which we did not realize <laughs> when we when we came up. It's a great title, but we did not, we just did not know that. Uh, did think through that. <laughs> it figured that one out afterwards. I am welcoming one of my favorite authors of all time. Probably one of the reasons I write, honestly, is I read The Christmas Box when I was in fifth grade, told my dad to buy it when I was homesick and saw him on a Today Show interview and said, I need this book. And his name is Richard Paul Evans. He is the king of Christmas fiction and Michael Bay and all of the other stuff. How are you, Richard? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. So your new book uh, is a collection of essays called Sharing Too Much, Musings from an Unlikely Life. Can you tell us why essays at this point? I've, I've been collecting them for a while. And what started it all is I wrote an essay, which, by the way, my wife hates, called <laughs> How I Saved My Marriage. And it went completely viral. It mm -hmm. had more than 125 million readers globally. And then we can get back to that, why my wife hates it. But I went to uh, the president of Simon Schuster. We were talking and I said, you know, we should make a book about that essay. I mean, that's the most read thing I've ever done. And as we got into it, um, we were going to do one book with that and then a book with all my other essays. And I said, well, we'll just combine them all. And I have almost 60 essays. I wrote one talking about handicapped. I wrote one about my Tourette syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was called um, To the Woman at Church Who Wrote Me an Anonymous Letter. And that, that was, was a one. powerful one. That was a powerful essay as I read it. It was really, yeah. Thank you. I When I posted that, I actually posted it for a young man I met at a signing that day who had very severe threats, had uh, really severe tics. And um, his mother tried to deny he had anything. I said, you're not helping him, you know, to understand who we are. The day I was diagnosed, it took a lot of pressure off me. But I posted it because this woman wrote me a letter, as you know, the saying that I was um, an evil man. A sinful man because mm -hmm. you tell by my ticks, and um, so I, it's like do all those ticks. Maybe I am a, a broken man like all of God's children, but we um, all are though. I mean, it's, yeah, we all are. I said that's such an unfair statement for her to make. Uh, it was a I horrible think. statement. Yeah, it was a horrible statement, and I posted it. I said because it's anonymous, so maybe she'll see it on the on the internet. Um, I posted it at midnight the next morning. We had eighty thousand shares. There you like, go. Totally viral. So I don't know if she ever saw it. She never reached out to me. But there were millions of people who read it. And, um, you know, maybe she did see it. So and um, I also, because I had read it uh, when it came out in 22, I read uh, your Christmas memory, a Christmas memory book. And that was very personal for you. I, I, I really I could feel that. And a lot of your books are personal, but this one felt yeah. specifically. So can you talk a little bit about that one? 
absolutely. It's one of my favorite books I've ever written. Um, in fact, we immediately had movie interest, feature film interest on it. It was about my childhood. And yeah. so, um, wow. It, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even read the book on audio without getting choked up. I would, I would have trouble. All of a sudden, I would just break down. It was sharing. Well, just like my essay book, sharing too much. <laughs> I wish I was sharing everything, and it was incredibly painful. You know, my mother's um, suicide attempt and some really tough things. So, and that's, <laughs> you know, I think you, you felt it when you read it. It's like, wow, this yes. is real, and yeah. um, it is real. You know, I shared the feelings of a little scared little boy in a new in a new state, a new city. And everything he's going through, also with a really horrible teacher who was very abusive. Um, the, and the book, yeah, is, the, the, the the teacher and the bullying that he it connected with me because as someone who has cerebral palsy, I felt like writing was the only thing that could get me out of it. You know, like writing, I can do really well. These people don't understand me. I can't really walk all that well. I can talk pretty well, but uh, but writing is is was my was my saving grace. And, um, and I felt like for, for you, Mr. Foster was that saving grace. Yes. Who's, you know, a real, a real person that the only, a few parts of the book book were fictionalized. Um, Oh yeah. My brother didn't die in the Vietnam war. Um, So there are a few things I had siblings, you know, more siblings, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the basis, someone asked me which parts of this book are true. And I said, pretty much all the, all the hard things. Don't you think, though, I mean, as two novelists, I mean, I guess novelist to novelist, don't you think, though, that like so much of the books that you write are true anyway? And it's not necessary. The stuff that you fictionalize is not necessarily the stuff you would think you would have to. Yeah. And, and then the stuff that is true, you're like, that's true. And then sometimes people will say, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. And you're like, no, that part I made up. <laughs> yeah. To some degree, every book I write, including Michael Vay, is about myself. I realize mm-hmm. that because that's the that's the perspective I'm coming from, the point of view. And so, someone said, "How did you come up with an evil character in your Michael Vay series as Doctor Hatch?" And I said, "Well, I'm both Michael and Doctor Hatch. I'm both those guys." Right? Yeah. It, it's interesting. I'm both. I'm I'm a little bit of both the bully and the good kid in 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 what Death Taught Terrence, um, and people are so confused by that because what the bully did to me, he really did. But when when stuff happens to you, it almost transfers to you. And in a way you get an understanding of why that person did that eventually. You know, uh, oh, this person was going through so much and they didn't know what else to do. And so bullying me was there out in a weird way. And I couldn't have understood it at the time. Does that make sense to you? Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, that's why. You know, in sharing too much, you know, some of the essays, as you know, are like gut-wrenching, some are funny, some will yeah. touch your heart, some are inspirational, but it's really, I think it's a really well-rounded picture of my life. Yeah. And, is. you know, as a father, as um, someone who loves God, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's all, it's all there. I, I think, I think if you read that, you would, you would really know me even better than reading my novels. Do you feel that way? I, I do. And, and you own a piano now? which you totally, uh, <laughs> that was a complete surprise. She had no idea if only the, you know, if only the, the bank had not interceded. Yeah. Oh, darn. That one, <laughs> that one was actually, that one was actually run in Good Housekeeping magazine. So again, some of these essays have been read by tens of millions of people. And so to compile a lot, most of them are new. You know, I think that 
I think the Delta airline one was one of the funniest mm-hmm. experiences. Oh, that's the one with your kids uh, when you're yeah. trying to get on the plane. <laughs> yes, that one. Well, okay. I will tell you, traveling with cerebral palsy is not easy. I love I love to go to Disneyland. Disneyland is where I feel the least handicapped because that place makes room for handicapped people. So I will travel there. But oftentimes now the TS, it's the TSA and they will, you know, you need to take off your shoes and make sure nobody's doing anything they shouldn't be doing or whatever. At one point, uh, I was going through the airport in Santa Ana. It's a really small airport, just, just it's a little airport. So I figured, well, I don't need a, I'm not going to need a wheelchair for that for this airport. I can just walk through. And the TSA guy looks at me and goes, what happened to you? Oh, geez. And I was like, well, a lot. And we have, <laughs> we don't have enough, we don't have enough time to discuss what you just asked me, sir. But wow. And, and, and I thought I could probably get somebody fired right now, but I won't because, you know, it's just not worth it. But yeah. It was, it was not, yeah, you know, I always travel with people that I know who know me, who know me well, and it goes okay. But I would not, traveling by myself, um, what I didn't realize is with palsy also comes a little bit of disorientation. And so I get disoriented in, in, in airports and things like that. And I didn't even know I had what I had till I was about three years old and they diagnosed me. Now, you weren't diagnosed with Tourette's till you were 41? Yeah. Uh, so you knew something was up, right? Oh, absolutely. I just thought it was weird. I mean, when he diagnosed me, he says, do you do you like touching sharp things? Which sounds like what a, a really weird question. question. Right? Yeah. I brought, what I do, I fold dollar bills into very sharp corners. I mean, I, they can draw blood. And I oh, wow. pull seven sharp things out of my pocket. I go, yes. I've uh-huh. done this since I was three. I go, you're telling me that's Tourette's. You go, that's Tourette's. And I thought, this is so strange. Why I would have the impulse to shout out horrible things in the most inappropriate places. You now, know, you've I, met, why do these things come into mind? You've met some very famous people. Uh, have you ever had the impulse to shout with yeah. Some of them? <laughs> yeah, one of the impulses to spit in the face of famous people. I remember I was in the White House and I literally had to step back from President Bill Clinton. It's like I bit my tongue. You don't want to spit on a president of the United States. There's big men around. Them. It's, it's not recommended. Yeah. My wife saw what was going on. She stepped in for me. Thank goodness. I'm just biting my tongue. I'm like, this is awful. Um, it would be hard to explain that. So I was I was with uh, I was on the Glenn Beck show. Yeah. And that Glenn goes, well, do you want to spit on me? Am I? It's well. He goes, am I famous enough? And we like, it was almost I that. I said, yeah, I, I, I do, but we, we won't <laughs> go there. It's like, it was, it was a, it was almost a point of pride. It's like, okay, my right. famous for me to spit on. And I said, I'm not going to spit on anyone, but I, yeah, the impulse is there. Sometimes I'm just Well, like, we are oh. not in the same room. So Richard will not be spitting on me. I'm not famous <laughs> enough for Richard to spit on me. But so tell us about what most people know you for probably is the Christmas box. Can you tell us about the publishing process for that? Because you published it yourself back when there was no internet. Can, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, that was crazy. That's back before there was print on demand. What I did, I didn't write the book to publish it. I wrote it as a Christmas present for my then two daughters. Um, even though it's a book for adults, I thought, I want to capture this moment in time. 
that as a as a young father, um, how much these little girls mean to me. I mean, they're my life. And I never saw this coming. I didn't really want to be a father. And what a great choice that was because I adore them. And they're still just the biggest things in my life. And so um, I write this book for them. And I did some extra copies. And I was like, we'll hand them out for Christmas. Well, my neighbors start coming by and saying, this book is really good. And, and then strangers start calling me. And it's like, how'd you get my book? And they say, well, so-and-so sh shared it with me. I go, well, I don't even know who that is. The book went viral on its own, even though there are only 25 copies. Wow. And so um, I decided I would publish it. Well, at first I sent it out to publishers and they quickly rejected the book. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to say anyone who rejected the book lost at least $30 million. Did that feel good? Uh, did that, that feel really good knowing that? Because yeah, if, if, had... <laughs> oh yeah, I've had I, I had one agent. So I will uh, explain to you a little bit that my dad was an author before me, or, or a writer, and he and I were both querying at the same time, and he got an agent before I did. But uh, I had one agent actually say to me about my book. I, I really like the writing. It's really good. It's really good. But uh, could we just change the main character so he doesn't have cerebral palsy? Oh, and I and I just thought, you know, that book has been written several times. And it, if you want it, it's not by me. So, yeah. So when you say that, it, it would feel so good to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those was, people know. Yeah. I've had a few of them come back to me and it's like, wow, I wish I had been in a better mood that day or because it became the biggest book in the world for five weeks. It, it was, yeah. it, it changed. It's a best-selling uh, self-published book in history. And isn't it the only, the only book that has been, that was number one in paperback and hardcover at the same time yeah, uh, before Harry Potter happened. But yeah, but it, so yeah, that's huge. I remember getting the little green copy, the little, the little, the little green yeah. one. Uh, you got one got it. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you did. Uh, and then I also have a leather one that you sold off your website further <laughs> that you, it was, it was stuff. I have a leather one. I, I don't know how many copies of, of that book. I actually, no, they go for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I, I have yeah. one of those. Um, and so, yeah, when they said, do you want to interview Richard Paul Evans? I was like, uh, sure. Yeah. That sounds good. So let me, let me ask you, I know your daughter is, is an author. Like what's the difference to you between when you see one of her books and when you see, is it just like, Oh my gosh, like, I helped that happen or I can't believe that something that great came from someone that I helped, you know, raise or what's the, what's the thought process? Well, Jenna, Jenna was a much more voracious reader than I was with my mm -hmm. rats and ADHD. I was always in the slow reading classes. I'm yeah. a very slow reader. Um, Jenna is uh, on the other hand, by the time she was nine, she had read gone with the wind twice. That so is a she, long book. You guys, Yeah, she's, a, she's an amazing know. reader and, so she would come to my book signings and she would sit under the table and read Goosebump books. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. So she was, she, she's a voracious reader. And as she grew up, she became my writing assistant. And I soon realized, as Stephen King says, you either hear the music or you don't. Mm -hmm. She hears the music. She made my books, all of them better that she helped me with. And if I said, Jenna, you have the chops to be a writer. She's like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. She saw how hard it, I had worked on it. It's like, eh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. And um, I talked her into it eventually. And the first book she wrote was called Carolina, Carolina. It was horrible. The writing was excellent. But and um, my agent who, you know, decided she had to grow up. She's like, man, she didn't do anything with it. And so I called my publisher. I said, look, she's a very good writer. She just needs a coach to get the right book. Yeah. 
So yeah. the next book she wrote was called Love and Gelato. And that book is in 28 countries. It's a New York Times bestseller. It probably yeah. sold, it probably sold a hundred times more than they expected. And this is what's fun. She is a rock star in Brazil. In uh, Brazil. Who knows why? She goes to Brazil. She had four armed bodyguards with her because thousands of people came out to see her. She's also one of the uh, best-selling authors in Portugal. So why these two countries? She's just huge. Just That's huge. So it, random. It, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, she's a New York Times best-selling author here. But in those countries. But in those countries. She's yeah. a rock star. Yeah. yeah. She has to have guards to go there. <laughs> I I do have to thank you for writing your book. I know it sounds so weird, but when I, you know, I read The Christmas Box and I, I literally thought to myself, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started doing stories that were about my life and, 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 and stuff like that. And what Death Taught Terrence came out literally four years ago today my dad threw the, it was a big release party at a Mexican restaurant. We have a lot of friends of mine flew in. I, it was a surprise. Of course, COVID hits a week later. Uh, but I do have to thank you. You're the reason why I write. Other than my dad, who's going to hear this and go, what? But uh, uh, yeah, thank you so much for what you do. I, I, I don't know what else to say. And, I, and, and honestly, I don't know like how you respond to that. <laughs> no, it, it, you know, you. it makes me... It makes me very happy. And, you know, you were describing your um, writing. It's, it's your superpower. Yeah, it is. You know, we, we all, we're all broken, have challenges, and yet we have these superpowers. And um, writing has opened so many doors for me. Um, that book launched a charity. Um, we took our original money to put into it. We've helped 140,000 abused children. Um, yes. It continues to grow. I'm just so, so blessed, I'm, you know, that I wrote that little book. It's One of the... Six New York Times bestsellers. 46. Yeah. 46. Wow. I have eight movies. And I'm really excited that last year I had my first feature film on Netflix. It was called The Noel Diaries. The Noel Sorry. Diaries. Partly. Yeah. And that movie, um, it was the number one movie in the world the week after Thanksgiving. That's huge. I watched it. Yeah. I mean, writing is when you're in the flow, do you do you get in the flow? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? When you're when you're in it to the extent that you can't do anything else for like two or three hours. I mean, do you know what that feeling is? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I have, but because I, because I have attention deficit, it's okay. It's really hard for me to go in there. I shouldn't okay. be a writer based on, you know, my psychological makeup. Really? On the other hand, it actually makes me a better writer because I get bored so fast that my writing has to be spare and strong and move. For and you so- to like it. Yeah, because I, I have to read the book 70 times. You read it once, well, I read it yeah. 70 times. And, right. And so, um, but instead of flow, I just call, I go into the world. So like right now I'm working on the last book in the Michael Vay series and in, mentally I'm in the jungle. And mm-hmm. when I go in that world, it's a very real thing. And I mean, I get scared. I get emotional. I mean, if I'm not going to cry through a book, no one's going to cry reading it. Right. So yeah, I'm yeah. writing um, A Christmas Memory uh, the year before last it was hard to walk through my childhood again. And I just wanted to hold that little boy because, you know, oh, just yeah. what he endured. Uh, interesting thing. Um, after, you know, I got my, my one treasure, a Mickey Mouse watch stolen and people start sending me Mickey Mouse watches, mm. including vintage ones. Uh, it, it's like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's people reach out. I, I will tell you when my dad uh, proposed to my stepmom, she, she had a little four-year-old daughter at the time. Now she's, 
now that person is 30, but she, she was four at the time. And uh, the next weekend she had, she was over with us. And my dad was like, do you want to propose to Delaney to be your sister? <laughs> and so we all, it was me and my brother, we proposed to her and we gave her a Mickey Mouse watch and she still has it. Oh, I love it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and she like nervously, like, yes, yes, I, yes, you know, like, you know, we just welcomed her into the family and she's been there ever since. So, and it was interesting too, because um, when I would get presents from her parents who met me when I was uh, 16, they would give me Richard Paul Evans books because oh, they knew I read every one of the Christmas ones. I, they, they're like, if it's, if it's out, if he doesn't already have it, we can get it for him. Sometimes I had already pre-ordered it. <laughs> well, thank you. So how yeah. did you feel about sharing too much? I I loved it. I loved uh, the funny ones. And I loved the, the one specifically that I really connected with was the one that you built the book around, which was the which was the saving of your marriage. And I think what you what you recommend there sounds so simple, but it's for some people very hard, which is asking somebody what do you need from me today? Yeah. What do you need from me today? When you think about it, it sounds so simple. It's not because you have to be willing to ask the question and the person you're asking it to has to be willing to answer it. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's easy to ask the question. Part's fulfilling it, which is what the book's yeah. about because at the time our marriage was so broken. And so she'd, she'd say things that were spiteful and it's like, Oh, clean the garage. You know, it's just, it, they were spiteful and, if I could go into that a little bit, you know, the, the essay is about this really difficult time in our marriage. And I was on book mm -hmm. tour and I thought, we're going to end up divorced. And oh. I remember it was, I was in a shower. It, I was taking a shower. I was in the um, Ritz Carlton in Buckhead, Georgia. And I remember just saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't be married mm -hmm. to her. We fight all the time. And um, I just prayed that she was like, why can't she change? And the inspiration came to me. You can't change her, but you can change yourself. And I said, yeah. okay, tell me, tell me what I need. And, you know, so, and there's a certain level of humility. Tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And then yeah. it came to me. So I came home, you know, she didn't even talk to me. And, and I started down this path with her and it changed her. It changed mm -hmm. her. And it, of course it changed me. I had to be the change first. Right. And so when I, um, I was asked to speak in this, this um, marriage conference the governor's marriage conference. And there's about 3000 people that was huge. And I shared this story. My wife's there um, sitting next to the governor's wife. And, and it's like, she, she, she was fine with it. So it's like, I, I decided one day I was just going to post it. I didn't, I did had no idea what pe how people would respond, but I posted right. it. Right. And um, it went viral and I was watching on, I can see the back end. And it's like within three hours, uh, it's being read by 80,000 people. It's like, this oh. is going crazy. Yeah, and pretty soon it's like, wait, I have millions of readers on this. This is insane. It popped up on, I saw a Brazilian and I could tell it was a Brazilian post. It had 24 million readers. And I could tell it was me because I could see my name on it. There's a picture mm -hmm. of a guy in the shower and I could see my name, Richard Carey. And it's like, this is our story. So people were picking it up and then the Huffington Post called and they wanted to post it. Well, I'm talking to Huffington Post. They wanted to put it in seven <laughs> languages. Mm -hmm. And my wife buzzes my office and we have this, you know, home with three stories. So she buzzes, she goes, did you write something about our marriage? <laughs> well, yeah. And she goes, she goes, um, 
I go, why? And she goes, they're talking about it on the look on the news. This is the local news. They're talking <laughs> right. about it on the news right now. And she goes, take it down. <laughs> I think you, you can't, you can't take that down. The genie's out of the bottle. There's nothing yeah. do at this point. And I go, honey, I can't, it's gone viral. And uh, she was really mad. She goes, you know, why, why'd you post that? And I go, and this is just so, so um, that night we go, I take her to dinner trying to dissuade her. <laughs> yeah. We go to dinner and I see some, it's a new a place we had never been, this nice Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I, I stopped, I go, there's a couple that are eating. I go, this that looks good. What is that dish? And they look at me and they go, you're Richard Paul Evans. I go, yep, <laughs> yeah, I am. And she goes, <laughs> we're, we're here because of you. And I Aww. go, well, I didn't recommend the restaurant. She goes, no, we read your post about marriage and we decided not to get divorced. And I oh, said, wow. well, tell her. <laughs> I pointed to my wife, tell her. And she goes, she goes, we sit down. She goes, yeah, I know. My best friend called and said, you saved your daughter's <laughs> marriage. And this is going on for weeks. Finally, it's like, okay, enough. I can't, yeah. I can't, I already did it. I've already apologized. I can't, I go, was any of it not true? She goes, that's the problem. It was all true. And it's embarrassing. And then she said something that was the title of the book. She goes, you know what your problem is? You share too much. And I wonder if all authors do. I wonder if that's part of writing. I think successful authors do because it's the only yeah. way to get honesty. And I said, I said, Carrie, and she goes, you, you just need to stop. I said, I give you a really good life. You know, we live where you want to live because mm -hmm. you, you want to live there. We do pretty much whatever you want. I mean, you want a new, <laughs> car, a new car, right? And, and this I is go, part of that though. I'm like I mean, you I, and, and I'm, you know, I love my, our children. And I said, I give you whatever you want, but you're asking me to stop writing. And I yeah. said, I said, you know, I can't write dishonestly. And I said, God gave me this gift. So you're asking me to choose between, between you and God. And this is one place you lose. Okay. Yeah. Said, you have to decide if, if this is something you can live with, but I'm not going to stop. I will continue to share. I think the world needs this. That's why I have, you know, I've, I've sold almost 40 million books. 40 million. Uh, said, this is, this is something I can't stop doing. And she thought a moment and then she goes, fair enough. Fair enough. She goes, but if you ever make money off this, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, she was so, joking. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, well. Where, that's where the title comes from, sharing too yeah. much. And some of the things are incredibly honest and very personal. And people say, how are you able to share that? I said, I'm not able to not share it. And it's amazing how many people read it and say, this is, you're talking about things no one talks about. So the whole essay, 59 essays, there's some really intensely private things in those. Do you think it's hard uh, to live with an author? Uh, as one, I, I don't know what it's like to live with me, but do you think it's hard to live with an author sometimes? Well, I think it's hard to live with me. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm, yeah. I mean, I have author friends like, um, you know, Mary Higgins Clark, uh, bless her. I loved Mary or David mm -hmm. Balacci. And they're very disciplined. They get up at six in the morning, they write till noon and then they're done for the day. I am so chaotic. I just write when the spirit moves me and, um, so I think I'm hard to live with because my deadlines are always late and it freaks her out because she's very, you know, she's by the book and I'm the opposite. So I think I'm hard to live with. The other part is because I'm very well known, uh, especially locally. We can't yeah. go anywhere that I'm not, you know, recognized. And I, um, yeah. so that that's hard. She found, I mean, we moved to Italy because she found some people in our yard taking pictures. And she, you oh, know, told that's me why me. you guys moved. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So we moved to Italy. It's it started with, she goes, we need to move. And I said, well, where do you want to move? She goes, we need to move out of state because everyone here knows you. 
And I said, well, where do you want to move? She goes, Virginia. I want to move by David, by the Baldacci's. And I said, well, mm-hmm. I just did a signing there. I mean, people, I'm an international best-selling author. And <laughs> yeah, it does, I said, yeah. you want to move, let's really move. I mean, I, my books are huge in China. She goes, I don't want to move to China. Goes, I go, where do you want to move? She goes, Italy. And so I'm just like, sure, we'll move to Italy. Just thinking she'll forget about it tomorrow. She'll be over. Well, to, the next day she comes and she goes, okay, our, I planned the trip. Talk to your secretary. We're going to, we're flying to Italy. And it's like, why? Oh. She goes, well, we have to pick out schools and find a place to live. It's like, you're serious about it. Oh, this. she was serious, man. She was totally serious. And the next thing I know we're flying to Italy. It's like, oh, this isn't good. It was a wonderful thing to happen. That's how Jenna wrote her book, Love and Gelato. It was so good for our family. It was so good for our marriage. And you know, it was just a, it was beautiful. I loved living in Italy. I loved the language. I wrote some of my best books there. And um, it was a good thing. I mean, it changed, it changed uh, as one, when my employees, who's a psychiatrist, works for our charity, goes, your personality changed. And I said, yeah, you can't be type A in Italy because no one's type A. Right. It will break you, right? So I, um, I became much calmer. What would you say to to an aspiring author who is just starting out, who might be just writing, if if they if if you had one piece of advice for a, for an aspiring author from a New York Times bestselling author, what would it be? Write what pleases you. You know, I after that first book was so huge, um, you know, they paid me millions of dollars for my next book to write another bestseller, and talk about pressure. Uh-huh. And, and then one day I'm writing and I'm just like, and the book's not coming. And, and then one day it hit me while I'm out walking that I don't know how to write a bestseller. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. write a book for millions. I wrote a book for my two little girls. And that's when it became real. It's like, I'm going to write something that I really love. That's very personal. Yeah. And that's where it all started. And that's when I think I really understood what it meant to be a writer, to write what you love. Cause you don't, if you don't know someone's phone number, you don't know their heart. Which and is, so, which Again, is different uh, from write what you know, though. That's it's write what you love is different from write what you know. We get told write what you know all the time, but write what you love is different. I think. Yeah, write write what you love is more important. Jenna wrote a book that she wished she had when she was a when she was a young adult. That was Love and Gelato. Like this, I wish this book had existed. And she made it exist and became yes. an international bestseller. So I, the other thing, if I could just put a plug yeah. in mm-hmm. during COVID, when we were all caught up. Um, I get asked that question you just said, you know, what advice, how do I write a book? I, um, I, I have people, I've had thousands of people ask me to help them write their book. Yeah. And so what I did during COVID is I basically wrote everything I know about books and writing and publishing. And I, I know quite a bit. And I, I recorded 25 lessons. I've done more since then. And I put them online for free. And it's called wow. Author Ready. And you can join the author ready group. And it's basically a college that's free. And people say, why would you do it free? I started out charging and then I thought writers don't have any money. So that's the I, thing, man. We don't. Yeah, they, yeah, I didn't have any money when I started. So I made I made it free, authorready.com. And then if you want to upgrade and learn some more stuff, there's some very small charges like five dollars a month or twenty-five dollars a month. I think the highest level is platinum is like a hundred dollars a month. But that's after mm-hmm. you're, you're published and ready to go. So yeah. to get through the process, it's all free. And we have a great writer's community. People are positive. They're kind. They're helpful. I love watching the friendships. So we have about 1,600 writers right now. And wow. um, I just love doing this. So it's authorready.com. In fact, I invite you to check it. I, I think yeah. you'll, you'll like it. And your dad, yeah. 
All right, let me do the let me do the housekeeping. Uh, Writing Well Handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the authors on the air Global Radio Network. Thank you so much, Richard, for being here and for doing this interview. I I, I hope I didn't talk your ear off. Uh, I was, I, I it's my it's my interview to you, so I hope I let you talk. <laughs> well, my, no, my pleasure. It's, it's nice to meet you. I'm glad that my writing inspired you. It it did, and and I I very much appreciate this uh, interview. His his book is called uh, Sharing. I was about to say writing too much. Sharing too much. He doesn't write too much, guys. He writes a lot, but he doesn't write too much. He loves to write. Sharing too much uh, is is the new book, and uh, by the time this is out, it will be out. So go get it. It's it's great. Are you gonna have a Christmas uh, novel coming up uh, at some point? Soon? I do this fall. Um, okay, this fall. All right, this fall we'll have another Christmas novel. All right, that is that is that is great. All right, you guys, uh, that was Richard Paul Evans, and goodbye, everybody.